Hey everyone, uh, this is the uh, Manipsin Sips podcast uh, featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd, partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, principles versus methods. Uh, there's a lot of methods or styles or camps and tribes out there in uh, physical therapy and uh, can kind of, you know, push people one way versus the other before they develop some foundations and those sort of things. But uh, before I get too much into that let me uh, pass it off to brandon how's it going bud doing well how's everybody doing today uh, um jerry i know you're at work i'm at work i want to preface that as uh we're, we're trying to squeeze this podcast in you know to to be consistent and, and you know keep the momentum rolling um so i am deviating from my normal whiskey and i think the last episode i had a beer so i've been i've been messing up i need to stock up in the office here so i'm drinking yeah. it truly so make, make fun of me, Jared. I know you will. I have a on this, so I'll, I'll just tell it real quick. Um, I had an older patient. He's in, I think he's in his early 70s, like 60s. And one week we were talking. He's like, what are you doing this weekend? And I said I was going golfing and that I like to drink these with some vodka added to them. And uh, the next time he came in, he, he brought one in. Uh, I don't know where he got it from, but he brought it in. So I, this is the only thing I had that had alcohol in it. Um, here at the office today, uh, so this will be used in our podcast to to hold true the to the sips component. Um, Jeremy's, you know, laughing pretty hard right now. So uh, say what you will, and then here, what are you what are you drinking? Uh, and, uh, That's cute, yeah, man. It's a it's a pretty basic girl uh, what, drink. Girl? You know, crack that back. Or, or uh, it basic white out? girl, you know. Um, Gotta be yeah, oh my god truly <laughs> that's what you should say as you have it uh that's that's the most adorable thing we've had on the podcast it's, it's like a seven up now. yeah it's basically a seven up this is yeah, yeah. that's it i really have a room to talk because in my office we don't have any really like breakout rooms or private rooms it's kind of open floor space so yeah. i'm doing things from <laughs> from the bathroom Slash no, no. office, so you know that's where the, that's where the real paperwork goes down, anyway. So um, I'm drinking today. Um, it's sweet canning uh, graphic, uh, the axe uh, by our local, literally across the street uh, brewery. Um, one of my favorite breweries, probably my favorite microbrewery of the smaller scale. Um, axe and Arrow, awesome people. Um, probably coolest name. Um, there's, I guess, three total owners, husband, wife, and a, a, and a friend. Uh, if, I forget who's who, um, but uh, their last name's one. If you break it down, um, one's the axe and one's the arrow based off their, it's like German, each one of them or something. I could be messing that up, but uh, really good double IPA. I've had it in the past. Um, I have it. Oh, and the cup today is world's best boss. Given by an employee, I did not. I'm not that cocky. Uh, He did give it to me. That was many years ago, so it's probably probably gonna scratch out. Put worse boss, but anywho, Cam. I'm assuming got that. Cam got that. My first employee here. He he definitely didn't know any better. Yeah, he was just trying to you know sweeten up that Christmas bonus. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to be drinking these things out of mugs, but you know it's tradition that I have have some sort of cup here. But um, oh, good. I, I've been drinking mine out of mugs that were gotten for me, so there you go. It's all true. Yeah, um, I give it on the Jeremy Boyd Manips and Sip scale, double IPA. 
8.3 at least. Gotcha. That's oh, a solid one. Your last one, your 8.2 one. Huh? Yes. No, this one I do like more than uh, what was that? Was, um, what, what was that? Oh, the – what did I have? Shoot. So, um, dude, my memory already sucks. But this one's yeah. better. It's, my, right. it's probably – one of the better beers I had on the show. Nearly beats it out. Yeah, it's a problem with drinking. Can't remember what you drink half the time. But um, yeah, let's go back into uh, what the show is going to be about today. Um, yeah. Go ahead, there, Brandon. I know this is something you wanted to kind of so, get off uh, your I'll chest. Give everyone a little back backstory on how I got to this point, and uh, I was creating, and we were creating, I should say, um, you know, our manual virtual manual therapy mentorship that's actually launching um, probably this weekend or, or next Monday, which is June 22nd, depending on when this airs. Um, but, you know, I was writing it up and, and trying to say, you know, what makes this different and, and what makes what we're offering and what the problem is out in physical therapy that, that we're seeing, um, especially now that, you know, everyone has access to any type of information and you have all these gurus and self-proclaimed gurus out there selling, selling their stuff. And, you know, I'm not knocking that. Um, but I think we're a lot of PTs, especially newer grads, students, you know, and clinicians out their first one to five years, maybe three years, something like that run into some problems. Um, are they, they jump in because they take, they hear about this cool course you should take, um, or so-and-so's method and, you know, that person treats, you know, X amount of athletes and, and they're the person to see and they go down this rabbit hole that they're not ready for and they don't have any true foundation to build off of, which mm. a foundation would be a principle. They, they don't have, you know, pillars to build off of and, you know, they take the, these gurus or these method courses and, you know, they try it, they get frustrated after a week or two, and then they're like, this doesn't work for me. And they keep doing that. Then they take another course and the same thing happens. And, you know, next thing they know, they're down, you know, however many thousands of dollars. Um, and they're two, three years in their, uh, their profession. They still don't know how to treat. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm speaking that from uh, not personal experience. Luckily, I was able to avoid that um, early enough on. But um, you know, people have come up and told me, hey, I've taken X, Y, and Z, and I still don't know how to treat. Um, and I will say I was probably on the cusp of that because I was taking all these random you know, uh, method courses or, or treatment type courses. Um, and then luckily, you know, I joined the residency right out of school. So that kind of um, helped me with that and kind of steered me uh, away from that method or, or path. But I was definitely going and taking re manual release courses, instrument assisted courses, dry needling courses all these technique based or method based courses. And I didn't know, I didn't have a framework to then know how to use it. So that's kind of um, my long winded explanation of how we got to this episode today. Um, but I'll pass it off to you, Jared, just so, you know, pass it back and forth. But I guess what, <laughs> what do you feel, um, you know, what's been your progression? What have you seen? You have an employee in Justin who's, who's in a, you know, a stud therapist and in a residency program. You obviously mentor a lot of kids. Um, and, and people reach out to you probably now more than ever. You're always sending me screenshots of people asking you advice and stuff. Um, you know, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What, what's your take on this? Yeah. Um, I, 
Couldn't agree more. Um, I I guess I guess first true con ed I really did was pro. I did a couple things in PT school. It was like a Maitland examination thing, so it wasn't so much treatment based. And one other thing, and then um, just went right into the residency, which helped you know develop that foundation. But I view the a lot of I mean at this point now where I have the foundation. I start to like dabble in and we t- I took a BFR course of uh, taking like some weightlifting courses and those sort of things or like train weightlifters. Um, you know, those are like, I kind of view those as like spices or little appetizers or sides. It's, they're not the main course sort of thing. They're designed to be, you know, give you a tool once you've already figured what is going on. Uh, none of these courses, and I still have yet to be to, at one which helps you out with any ounce of differential diagnosis, uh, which I think is the most pivotal thing to learn in orthopedics or sports therapy. I don't know how acute care works. Um, I'd probably kill someone if someone I had a line that I had to work with, I'd trip over it, step on someone's catheter or something. But, um, you know, none of them provide that and sure yeah learn all these cool techniques even going into manipulations or dry needling or um, some you know release stuff it's it's great to have those but if you don't know what's going on and how to diagnose the individual then you're just going to be treating symptoms um, and that's that's the problem and I think um, there's definitely an issue especially with that with you know kind of ed, I feel like people the coolest names um neuro release functional therapy nrxty it's like oh shit and they have cool graphic and then good for them that their graphic game's all on point there that you know that attracts a lot of people but again doesn't teach people how to you know really figure out what's going on with the person and then you can implement some of this sort of stuff so um yeah you know be behoove individuals to learn the foundations, get a good, like figure out how to see what's wrong with the person, how to modify those things. And then, yeah, add all that other crap if you want to, but that's, that's up to so, you. So I guess question slash clarification. Cause I, mm. I, I would say your Maitland course that you took your examination course is something that people should take. Yeah. Um, Maitland is like a forefather in the world of orthopedic, physical therapy, manual therapy, differential diagnosis, things like that. So Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to make that delineation for the audience because I know what you meant. It sounded like you kind of lumped everything. Uh, But those are the courses you need, definitely. Yeah, that one wasn't even a treatment-based course. I think we learned one or so minute, but it was, if you know the Maitland system, it was M-0 or M-1. I think one, um, it's it just purely examination techniques. Yeah. That whole course, imagine a whole course on that was purely going over special tests, how to assess joint play, um, all that. So it was purely, and that's why I took it was I wanted to better figure out how to figure people out. If that makes yeah. any sense uh, versus, you know, jumping into treatment when I don't know what to treat unless it was a script, but then I'm just believing you know, a physician, you know, a, you know, nothing against family physicians or anything like that who gotten, you know, what, 70, 
like two days worth of plus skill skill in their curriculum. Yeah, I think That's I think like in med school they day. get a week a week of week. It was a week. So define week. Three, yeah. Five, I don't know. Yeah, it really depends. So are you gonna just rely on the script and then throw in all this fancy stuff? No, I I personally took that course to learn how to better examine people. Um, and it's all again a lot of special tests and sets or stuff, which is funny because at this point I don't use much special tests at all. But at that point I did and just made that a little bit better for me. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a fine course and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you probably don't use special tests anymore because now you realize a lot of them suck and you're probably using groupings and cluster, but your examination yields better results than a special test. And I want people to understand that it's in the examination. It's like you said, it's in the differential diagnosis and not the treatment. And I think early on, and I felt for that early on, we think, Oh, this technique, this method is, is, gonna help this person so we try and take all these method and technique classes and and we end up nowhere if that was the case if if kudos to it's not about marketing but i think pts need to not fall for the gimmicky marketing bullshit that's out there and understand what's going on because if that method was really as good as it is doors you know you would take it and your door would be filled for for months on end you'd have a waiting list um instead of instead people need to learn that it's about examining if you can examine and differentially diagnose then you know how to treat then those then those methods become important because you Mm -hmm. now know how okay for this i need this for that for that diagnosis i need that and i think that delineation needs to be to be met um and and made clear clear Mm -hmm. with with what's going on absolutely like my i don't know but yeah i feel it's probably the same the time i spent over working with you, um, you know, just hearing patients talk, um, they would always say the main thing that they harped on was like, wow, your examination is more thorough than, and hit the spot than anyone else I've ever been to. It wasn't that I was like doing a lot more like, Oh yeah, let me just get an hour. Let me just fill this with, you know, 20 tests or, just bullshit questions. No, it was all purposeful sort of things. And it's like, yeah, most of the time table went out from out me um, that, you know, I'm figuring things out and half of it, it's more towards treatment. And why is that the case? They feel like it's thorough because I know exactly what I need to examine. Um, And, you know, I feel like most, I think the standard is generally an hour uh, for an eval. So all these other therapists that all my clients have had in the past, they've had the same amount of time, but again, they're just not hitting the right marks clearly because, you know, then they wouldn't have to see us. Um, but yeah, it's something that I see is, you know, invest heavy into if anything, anything in real estate stocks, anything like that, invest heavy early on like that, that examination process into your differentials it's going to set the rest of the road much easier. Same with your career. You know, at least I personally believe that. Uh, obviously, me and you are biased. We invested in the residency that cost money, money um, time. time, everything like that. When we didn't have money or time, you know, young individuals are starting their careers. Uh, but that, you know, kind of led to all the things that we have now, ownership, teaching, opportunities, you know, manual therapy yeah. sort of stuff. So, that's how I believe it, and 
um, when it comes to those sort of things. But if I didn't have the foundation to figure out what to do in that examination, I would, again, I, would, I wouldn't have a practice. I'd just be like anyone else. And it wasn't like, yeah, it was this big corporate places that people coming in from other private practice, physical therapists and, you know, same results, unfortunately. Yeah. I want to, um, and like you, I mean, I've, we've, we've had that, you know, patients have both told us and even written on our reviews. We've, I've done more here and, you know, 45 minute session, hour session than six weeks with someone else. And, and that just goes down to, you know, knowing how to treat. And I mm -hmm. want to use two topics because mm -hmm. I, I think that we can kind of talk about these and uh, they're not necessarily claimed by one person who, you know, could kind of get us uh, in trouble for blasphemy. You got to be so, uh, so sensitive in the world, but BFR and cupping, like, you know, I'll talk about cupping as an example between a method versus, um, or a treatment method versus a principle. Like people rushed out to, to take a cupping course to learn how to literally put a cup in a nozzle, hit the trigger twice, and then have somebody do a cat camel for low back pain or have someone go into a child's pose for low back pain. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but if you needed to spend $500 for that, I mean, one, you should probably take a look at yourself as a clinician and two, like, what are you doing? Um, you know, why can't you just take principles? And again, this is where if you had principles of direction of preference, movement preference, um, you know, a knowledge of mechanics, a knowledge of some other scopes, whether it's yoga-esque or just general basic exercises, and you combine the two together, you would be able to derive on that. I mean, I bought a cupping kit for $15 off Amazon, and I could throw on cups and have them, I could do combine it with nerve glides, I could combine it with joint mobilizations, I could combine it with movement, I could, you know, you could combine it with dry needling if we had dry needling in New Jersey. I mean, you can... You just have to understand what you're doing and what's the desired outcome you're trying to get and not just, oh, here's cups, here's back pain. Let me put it on their erectors, let them sit for five minutes, maybe do some movement and hope for the best because I was told in a course that cupping is going to help low back pain. Mm -hmm. No, you like if you're if that's the way you treat, you need to really take a step back and evaluate your principles for, uh, and what you're doing and your foundations and, and you know, you're probably doing your patients unjust, and, and uh, you know, I'll let you talk on BFR, Jared, because I know you've you're you're more accepting of it right now than I am, and you've taken a course, and you could probably speak to it better than I can. But BFR is another one. People are rushing out um, to take courses, and for what? Um, like, I had a, a former employee go out and, and take it, and I was he's like, I'm taking a BFR course, yada yada. I'm like, okay, cool but you just told me that you feel like you don't know how to treat after three years of practice. Why are you taking a BFR course? What population are you going to use BFR on? I asked him this and he said, ACLs. I'm like, okay, cool. How many ACLs do you see in a year? He answered me saying two to five ACLs he sees a year. So why the fuck are you taking a BFR course for, I don't know, $1,000. And then if you buy the real nice kit, it's about five to $7,000. I know you can get these generic models and knockoffs and stuff like that for cheaper. But again, if you're, if you're seeing five patients a year, is it worth taking that course? Like to me, your values as a clinician are, are skewed. 
Now, if you're seeing high-level athletes and you know it works and it's justifiable and the research that you've read at least supports it and you know at what point in time in the patient's care you want to integrate this and not just slap it on day one, cool, I have no problem with it. But if you know, you're just taking it because it's a new trendy technique or method, there's a problem. Um, but I'll shut up there and I'll let you talk to you because you, you have more knowledge on that than I do. Yeah. Um, so a little backstory on that. Um, Justin, our other therapist here, we had, a, a, I guess, a client with a sleepy quad per se. At least that's what the, the surgeon said. And he was adamant about he, she needs BFR. She needs it. Um, and that was it. I was like, yeah, we believe it's some other things going on, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I have a policy here, you know, whatever the patient needs, we're, we're either going to get, but we invest in training because I believe the training, that's all you need. You can have a, a was it Scott and Bill, one of them. I think it was Scott was really great therapist. All they need is essentially what's behind you right now. Brandon is a table, a couple bands, and a couple dumbbells you can fit and you can figure out anyone in your mind right um just to that i started my practice with a massage table my hands and mini bands Mm -hmm. and made made my money that way before i grew yeah if you saw ghetto all the nice stuff and shit what yeah so ghetto trifecta when we started off i got pictures of it it was literally some beat up tables and literally a couple of pieces of equipment and within a couple months, I was getting professional athletes because of not the facility. Facility looked like shit. Um, not the equipment. Uh, well, there's plenty of high-performance places. It was basically the skill and people word of mouth, like, oh, this these guys know what they're talking about. But regress back to BFR. So weekend was straight. I think my wife was away, so I was like, oh, shit. Uh, it was a BFR. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. So most people would probably like you know, do something relaxed. Yeah. Yep. We're gonna go have fun. He takes a course. It takes a BFR. I think that happened with USA weightlifting too. It's like, yeah, yeah, she's away. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just take a course. Uh, more for just me, just to get better at weightlifting, but um, and just to know like how what weightlifters are going through. But anyway. Uh, so I take it and everything like that, and we do see a decent amount of ACLs at my clinic. Um, in all honesty, I mean, I follow the protocol. I've read the research. Where most of it's based off of ACLs, and um, I don't think it's that great for it, in all honesty. Maybe I'm doing it wrong and those sort of things, but yes, can they do things at a lower uh, load and volume and get similar similar physiological effects. Yes, how it feels on a patient that just went through a pretty shitty procedure and they're in a lot of pain. Uh, they're already fatigued with just their quads and those sort of things, and this makes them more fatigable. Um, just personally, anecdotally, I find that it's either kind of a null effect or almost counterproductive at times. And I always ask, Every time they come in, I'm like, yeah, what we think is working for you, what's not, or we implement this, do you think it help? Obviously, you can't base something like BFR off of one session or something like that, but they'll start to tell you and, you know, things that aren't working, they're like, yeah, it's okay. They never, people are too nice to say, oh, that sucked or that didn't help at all or or anything like, yeah, it's okay. And I've noticed it and 
I implement it to try and implement it, but I wait it out. Have I from other things like I, I don't even know how it was. I think I might've had an ACL client on it or something like that. And we might've done like a glute workout and they reported the next day that their glutes were like crushed or they, they felt like they really worked. Um, I've used it for some people, I think to cook or, um, Stuart McGill talked about like glute amnesia. I forget who talked about glute amnesia. It's like, that's a thing in the United States. I have a couple yeah. of clients that they, they couldn't activate their posterior chain or their glutes if they wanted to. Have I used that BFR for that? And if I've had anecdotally no research work very well for maybe the theory of, you know, the bias work with less with less blood kind of circulating in the system so it makes all the muscles kind of fire in yeah i've had it work but i have never gotten to that point unless i had the foundation of being able to be you know have good differential diagnosis to realize a you know their their glutes aren't firing or their glute the lack of their glutes is contributing to their symptoms because let's face it a lot of people in america their glutes aren't firing is that the true cause of what's causing their symptoms or they're just, you know, like everyone else where their glutes aren't firing. So if I wasn't able to connect those dots, would I ever make that intervention? But yeah, that's my long winded story on BFR. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily jump to it. We can jump to it because of a surgeon had, would I have been able to do all the things that we're doing without it? Probably. Yeah. But that's my opinion. It's long winded. I just want to add some like, with the ACL component you're talking about and being able to, you know, you know, uh, first couple of days of somebody after surgery and they're in your clinic to be able to load them up. But what's the point in loading somebody if they don't even have that neural connection uh, to, to make a quad set or to do a straight leg raise? I mean, I think there needs to be some prerequisites before we start to, to slap on some cuffs and sleeves. Um, if somebody doesn't have that motor, neuromuscular control and that, that connection from the brain to the, the quad to be able to contract their quad and lock it in, what's the point in, in loading? Um, that's a neuromuscular issue, not a, not a strength issue. Um, yes, it leads to a strength issue, but it's coming from a different place. So I think people need to just take a step back and have a, a better understanding and not have a shiny new toy syndrome um, you know, with some of these things. Yeah, so, uh, uh, Toko is the director of my residency uh, fellowship. He always says find the cause of the cause. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it could be a strength issue, but you have to know it's a you know your differential or just a good examination process tells you that's a neuromuscular issue. Um, you know, you have to find that first, or yeah, you can slap it on and. Um, it's just not going to get anywhere. And that first client, you know, she got her BFR. It didn't, it didn't really make much of a huge impact. Yeah. Um, Take somebody with uh, lumbar radiculopathy and they have foot drop. You can strengthen that anterior table you want. All day. All but <laughs> that, that cause of that foot drop is coming from their back, you know, mm -hmm. coming from that nerve, which is coming from the back. So it's the cause of the cause. Um, yeah. But – yeah, that, that was pretty much it. I kind of wanted to make a, an episode about that. Um, I guess one other story. I mean, I, I was big into, you know, anecdotal, 
Actually, real quick, back up. You said anecdotally, it's not research. Jay, you put that anecdotal story into a case study and publish it, and now becomes research. No. Like, I think, you know, we need to be able to, you know, really discern and how to appraise research and not always just rely on men out there. Oh, like yeah. That. I mean, me but, and you talk about it all the time of all the cool things that we're doing um, and seeing consistent results. It's cool when you get a case report or anything like that. But, you know, when we're seeing consistent results, Justin, he's doing a um, – a case series on doing cervical mobilizations with uh, nerve glides and those sort of things. So he's finally getting it to publish yeah. there. Um, it's, yeah, obviously we're limited on time and being able to do that. I'm trying to put up one, um, but yeah, I could easily do that. And again, we put a lot of, and I think that's a problem with research and we put a lot of weight on what's out there versus, you know, using our, you know, clinical intuition a lot of times, but yeah, at that point. So, um, yeah. uh, I guess another thing, just kind of while we're here, um, and I was a, a, a proponent of FMS. You know, I, I dove into it hard. I liked it. It gives you a nice framework. It definitely helped me understand movement and better, and regional interdependence better, and and just performing a screen better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it also has its limitations, um, you know, and all the props in the world to, to Greg Cook and where he kind of pushed, I think, at least from where I was, and maybe it was just because it was my era, I think he kind of put and combined physical therapy and strength conditioning worlds or the movement worlds together pretty well in the early two, late 2000s, early 2010s. That was probably mm-hmm. that, that era. Um, you know, awesome job. But, I, you know, talking about principles versus um, I guess methods and, and, and techniques and gurus and stuff like that. Like that's kind of like a perfect example, like a hybrid of both. I mean, he had some strong principles in there, but when it came down to it, you're utilizing a system created by a person um, that, you know, also has some holes in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it got to a point where it's like, all right, I'm doing this, but this isn't getting all my patients better. And I need to be able to learn how to use his framework, but then be able to deviate and, and pick up the patients that aren't falling into, you know, his classifications and boxes and breakouts and stuff, because all that is is, is a cookbook of if it's this, go to this, if it's this, go to this, if it's yep. this, go to this, if it's this, go to this. Um, and, and that's just, you know, a cookbook and a, and a guideline for you, but you need to be able to learn how to break away from those guidelines, um, mm-hmm. when applicable. So I, I think, you know, he was probably the closest person who was able to try and bring both of those together, but even still, there, there's going to be some limitations in there and, and you need to take a step back and, and understand and develop, be able to double down on, on your exam and your difference in diagnosis and, and referral patterns and pain patterns and, and mechanisms of injuries and, and things like that to, to really understand how to treat someone better and not just jump into those treatment and method courses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you can ever truly as much as you want with research or good course. I don't think you can ever truly cook book an examination. I don't think you can. I don't think you, there's going to ever be enough research out there that can truly adapt to every unique human individual based off of their activities of daily living, their previous experiences, their body type. I don't think you 
possibly can. But they did a good job of, you know, at least, you know, little things and those sort of things. Um, I had a guy recently just asked me, he's like, oh, I, once a year he goes for SFMA assessment um, and wanted to know if we did that. I was like, yeah, I've, I've gone through it and those sort of things, but it's I no longer assess people via the SFMA style. Oh, Totally via the SFMA. Yeah, I like I integrate some things and those sort of things. We've taken like a TPI course at some SFMA, and it went down there. Yeah, it's for golf. I picked up one thing that I could integrate into some of my exams, um, but it's never, never purely off of that stuff anymore. Listen. Sorry, were you, were you gonna? No, it looked like you wanted to say something. So like, yeah, because you, you said something about that, and somebody wants to see you for SFMA, and and it, it spurns something. And I've had this conversation uh, before. I remember I was I, when I first started up, I rented space out of a, a gym, and I was doing just a lumbar screen. And, and I want people. I'm saying this because I want people to make this this connection and be able to to discern things. And all I did was just have the patient bend down, touch their toes, put their hands behind their back, do a lumbar extension, side bend, put run their legs that their arms down the side of the leg, and do rotation and a quadrant test. That's all I did, right? And a trainer comes over to me and he's like, "Oh, you're doing the SFMA screen. I like it. Blah blah. I'm going to refer you patients." I was like, "All right, cool, whatever. I just kind of let it be." But I'm like, "That's not that's not an SFMA screen." Awesome, great cook made it that popular. That's just a lumbar screen, simple lumbar range of motion screen. So, you know, if you take a step back, a lot of what he did is, is, is a simple screen. I mean, him going here to here is range of motion testing. Mm-hmm. Him looking up is range of motion testing. You should be doing that anyway. You don't need yeah. to take that course to understand. You should have the test is this, 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 aptly scratch test for mobility, um, lower uh, – lumbar stuff he does child's pose which is yoga as a clearing test and yokum's ac joint pathology test and you know now you have the sfma if you understand where the stuff is coming from and that was another thing i think going through the residency i under i got an insight to the history and then i geeked out and downloaded everything and read everything possible uh, knowing i had free access to like a really good good database and then I was able to realize, because I had taken that the FMS and, and read the book and everything before, I was like, wait, this dude is just pack, repackaging an orthopedic screen in a much friendlier, simpler way. Mm-hmm. Um, all this stuff, a lot of this stuff that's coming out, you go, you go to like uh, anatomy trains and stuff like that. I mean, these things are, are just repackaged. Um, I think the story goes, you know, don't quote me here, that Greg Cook, when he was making the, the SFMA, um, went to Shirley Sharman, Char- right? That's her name, Shirley Sharman? Sharman, yeah. Sharman, Char- Sharman. Um, because she had her movement in uh, philosophy principles in, I think, the 80s or whatever, 90s. And he went to her trying to basically build upon what she had started Um Apparently she wasn't on board or nixed it or whatever. Um, so then he started his own thing. So all he did was just take an extension of 
you know, some physical therapy principles, uh, movement principles by a very good therapist in, in Charmin as well, um, or Sarman, um, and then kind of repackage it into an updated version. I think we need to, to understand that and see that. Um, I did have another point I was going to say, but I can't remember right now. That truly hitting you, dude. That's just, yeah, yeah. It's that, better that, than Everclear at this point. It just five percent. Getting, <laughs> getting old. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Never living right. this one down, huh? Uh, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that up pretty frequently. Now and now this is recorded and it's for the whole world to see. So I'm really screwed. Yeah, you're, you're like no, I don't drink those because someone could just pull this up. I'll be like pull those politicians who say no, I did not do anything, and then they pull up. And then on twenty years later, like, yeah. But you keep busting your chain about, uh, you know, you drink uh, girly, girly basic white girl drinks, you know. Yeah. Well, does it taste good? Is it? I honestly, tastes like Seven Up, and uh, then yeah. it has a lot of carbonation. I'm not big on carbonation. I don't drink soda or anything, so oh. like a lot of fizz is too much. That's why you yeah. put vodka on it. It kills it's the fizz, and then it's just you're drinking like vodka and seltzer. Flavor. Drink two alcoholic things at once. Uh, I guess that could be more, you know, badass. But yeah, uh, damn it, I forgot my last point. It was a good one too. Oh well, I guess we'll wrap up. That's a side we'll wrap up that up. Uh, <laughs> we'll wrap up at that point. Yeah. Uh, if, it, if it is another good point, we'll just make another episode out of it. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, gave some insight to some people. If you have any, you know, comments or arguments against our ideas we we welcome them uh feel free to reach out to us at uh Manips and sips on facebook and uh instagram um also uh you can reach out to me i'm the decent doctor and uh at traffic therapeutics uh brandon's at think like a fellow and at pursue pt now but uh thanks for listening everyone and uh cheers everybody i still got a little beer left <laughs>